This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Um, thanks for joining me on the Football CFB podcast, Danny. No problem, thanks for having us, guys. I like to start, Danny. You were born in Penrith in Cumbria. Um, what was your football upbringing like, and when did you start playing the game? Yeah, I was obviously um, brought up with my family. Uh, my dad was um, really into football and things like that, and uh, we were out in the garden when we were younger, and where we grew up at in, a, in our little village, we we had a great little group of um, friends. There was about ten or twelve of us, and we used to go out to the field every every few few hours and play football in the backfield. So football was a big part of my life growing up. And um, like I say, I was very lucky that I was able to have a group of friends that were as much into football as me, and obviously my family that was supportive as what they've been even from a young age. When were you first um, signed by a professional club? And what did that feel like when you got signed? I was actually with Carlisle United when I was a youngster. Um, and I went through their academy and their centre of excellence until I was an under-14. Um, and I was let go from there. And it was actually an old friend of mine um, that got me a chance up at Gretna. And um, when I went into Gretna, Gretna was just starting to come through the league and they were just starting the Scottish third division. Uh, and then I was offered a full-time opportunity there as a scholar. And then obviously um, a couple of years down the line, the, the manager at the time, Ron Alexander, was impressed with what I'd done and offered me my first professional contract. And obviously, as a youngster, that's what you always dream of—that first chance of getting your first professional contract. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a dream come true. And obviously, what happened after that was obviously something special as well. Well, as you've said, we're going to move on to Gretna now, and um, the manager, Ron Alexander, signed you up, gave you a professional deal, and. You made quite a few appearances um, for Gretna um, when they were down the divisions. Um, what was that like and what was Gretna like at the time you joined them and got your first professional deal? Yeah, it was amazing. Obviously, I, I was really lucky in the fact that uh, my people like Gavin Skelton, who was there a long time, and uh, people like Derek Townsley, uh, David Bingham, players like that, who um, you could literally just go and ask them any question you want. So to be able to learn off people like that who played at the, the club for a while and obviously played at higher divisions and stuff like that. It was obviously a great learning curve for me and to be part of obviously the dream of going from the Scottish third division and going right the way through with the club, even the way all the way to the SPL, obviously was something special and I think obviously um, no one could ever have sort of envisaged what the, what the club would have done, but I think obviously, um, unfortunately, the way it ended, I think it was only a matter of time with um, the whole setup because of obviously the crowds we could attract and obviously playing away at Motherwell, our home games, it was always tough and um, we just couldn't seem to get going in the SPL either. In terms of coming through the divisions, this is a question I'm really interested to ask. Um, see when you got promoted from third to second, second to first and so on, every year could you see the, the rise in quality going up each time or was the jump not as big as a fan like myself would think it was? 
I think what the biggest thing was, um, what I always noticed was the fitness levels. I think in the Scottish third division, um, we were full, obviously full time and and our fitness levels, but the second half of the second half, so sort of 60 minutes on the way, um, we started really dominating teams and really uh, that's when obviously the score lines became quite one-sided. Um, and I think obviously as the, you went up the divisions, the players got fitter, they maybe trained an extra night a week and things like that. Um, but again, I think the quality that we had in the dressing room, we, we had players that had left uh, SPL clubs to come down to, to Gretna and play for us. And I think obviously when you look at the, the teams that we came up against, the, even the second division was tough and obviously the, the first division as well. I mean, took it right the way down to the wire to, to get promoted to SPL. So obviously as the, as you went up the, up the league, the quality definitely raised. But again, I think the fitness levels were the biggest thing as well because we weren't able to just run over teams the way we had in the, in the Scottish third and probably the first half of the Scottish second division as well. We're going to come now to um, the 2006-07 season where Gretna, obviously, as you've said, it went to the wire and got promotion um, to the SPL. What was that season like for the club? Obviously, the aim was to get promotion and it went to the wire. Did you guys believe at the start of the season and Rowan Alexander as the manager that you really were destined for promotion that season? I don't think you can ever say any club sort of destined for promotion. I think what you can say is if the they do the right things on the training pitch and and the things behind the scenes, and then you've got a great opportunity of doing it. I think we probably had a little bit more of a fall because we had some of the uh, probably the best players going around in that division at the time. And I think obviously um, we we worked hard off the pitch. We were we were a good unit as a as a bunch of boys, and everyone got on on well with each other. So I think obviously we had the makings of being a good team, and we just couldn't seem to get over that line. Even towards the end of the season, we were sort of um, stop-start and we just couldn't quite get going but obviously to win the league the way we did um, I don't think I'll change it for anything to be honest with you I'm interested before we talk about the brief spell you had with Gretna and the SPL obviously the owner Brooks Melson obviously sadly no longer with us um, he was in the media an awful lot for being a larger than life character um, what was he like around the club and what was he like with yourself? I can't speak high enough of Brooks. Brooks gave me my dream of being able to play professional football. And um, as a man, he, he was absolutely fantastic. He was a great person, especially personally to me. Um, off the pitch, um, he would he would help you with any, anything he could help you with um, on the pitch and on the football side of it. When Dundee United came knocking, he didn't sit there and say he wanted hundreds and hundreds of thousands for that a player that was obviously still developing, he just asked me to get a small fee that the club could say that they've, they've got a transfer fee for. So, again, Brooks was someone who I I can't speak high enough for. And I was, obviously, um, it was upsetting to see the way things had, had gone and things like that. Um, but, again, uh, Brooks, Brooks Martin gave me my dream and he was a big reason why I was able to sort of live the career that I've had. Obviously, um, you got promotion to the, the to the SPL with Gretna. Um and as we've said, it was difficult for the club in the sense that you played your home games at Motherwell, which anyone that knows Scotland geographically knows Motherwell's a long way away from Gretna. Um, what, how did the players and the manager, how did you all react to having to play your games at Motherwell? Was it just a totally alien feeling? Yeah, it was strange because obviously you would be going up there as, a, as the home team and there'd maybe be five, six hundred fans there, but 
Um, yeah, it, it was strange because no matter where you play, whatever club you play at, your home ground's your home ground. And um, I think obviously there's many clubs now that go through financial restraints in England and in Scotland and end up sharing grounds. But I think obviously you, your home ground is, is your home and you want to be there as much as possible. I think I genuinely believe if, if we'd have been able to play our home games at Raydale, we'd have probably picked up more points um, than we did at Motherwell because teams have had to travel all the way down to Gretna. They'd have come to a, obviously a, a smaller stadium and not, not what you call an out-and-out big big stage for a SPL team. So, again, I think obviously all their little factors in fact, in being successful, um, and unfortunately, obviously, we weren't allowed. And as a group of players, obviously, it was strange. Some of our players lived in Glasgow, some lived in Edinburgh, some of us lived down here. So, again, it was always strange for us to have to travel sort of an hour and a half, two hours for a home game. In terms of that season, um, in the SPL, you played for the club for the first six months, you made 17 appearances, and you were catching the eye at Gretna along with a few others. Ian Tormel being another player who impressed me as a fan from the outside looking in. Um, Dundee United came in for you in the December of 2007. How did you um, find out about their interest? And as soon as you heard that they were interested and Craig Levine was interested, were, were you desperate to go there? I was, yeah. I think obviously it was, it was nice playing at Gretna, going through the divisions and things like that, but you always have that dream of obviously moving on to the next step and that's, that still doesn't change whatever level you're at. And I think now, obviously, when you when I look back, I had the opportunity to go and work with people like Craig Levine and uh, Peter Houston, who are obviously really good coaches and big names in the in the football side of it. So I was privileged and obviously honoured to have them sort of teams looking at you. And again, when the interest came around quite quickly, to be honest with you, we played... Kilmarnock on um, towards the end of December and before we knew it, it was sort of there was a contact made. I spoke to Brooks personally and Brooks didn't want to stand in my way. So um, again, we were um, I was over the moon that I was been able to sort of move on to the next stage of my career and, and go to a club like Dundee United because it's a huge club with a huge history. In terms of the manager who signed you, <clears throat> Craig Levine and his assistant Peter Houston, what were they like together on the training ground and as people um, with yourself and the rest of the boys? They were brilliant. They really were. Um, I think, obviously, uh, Craig had the, the real um, fear factor about him. You wanted to make sure you worked hard for him. You didn't want to let him down. Um, and again, I think, obviously, sometimes he, would, he wouldn't even say a word, but you knew you'd, you'd done wrong. And um, at times, you really let you know. But again, him and Houston had a great relationship. Houston was the person who you felt like you could um, sort of let off some steam to and he knew that he didn't always have to feed it back to the manager. He was hugely he, he brilliant in their team. As a team, I thought they were fantastic. They worked so well together. Uh, the training was great and I think they created a great bond amongst the players and um, I think that was very important. Obviously, I've been privileged to work with um, some obviously international managers and um, high-up managers that have gone on to um, coach elsewhere and, and Craig's one of the best ones I came across and uh, obviously um, him and Hughes were a fantastic team and they bounced each, off each other really well and I think that's important when you have a relationship like that with your manager and your assistant When you went there obviously in that six months you broke into the team very quickly you were flying Dundee United were doing well finished fifth that season two games I'm interested to ask about if you remember you drew three each with, three each with Rangers at Tannadice um, and a, a pretty crazy game um, lots of goals lots of things going on own goals um, 
What was that game like to play in? The, the games with Rangers um, at the time, they were um, obviously doing really well in Europe that season as well. And I think obviously the, the atmosphere that there was between Dundee United and Rangers was, was fantastic. All the games we played that season always had that little bit of edge about them. Um, so again, they were the types of games you wanted to be involved in and the types of games you wanted to make sure you could put your stamp on and, and try and obviously do as best you could and represent the club in the way they wanted to. Um, I think obviously games like that is what you want to play in when you're a player. One last game from that season, obviously you played in the last game of the season where um, Celtic came visiting and, and won the title that night and obviously the Rangers running Europe, the season ended quite late. Um, playing in that game against Celtic when the league was on the line, um, did you guys go into that game knowing that you were going to be part of history regardless? Yeah, I think obviously it was um, that night was a very strange night because of obviously um, you don't want to give up a title on your home ground, you don't want to let people party and enjoy the, the atmosphere on your home ground. So again, it was a great atmosphere. Obviously, Celtic had a lot of fans travelled through, probably got into the Dundee United end and things like that, and it was it, it was an amazing atmosphere to play in. And again, they were a big game that you want to play in. And unfortunately, obviously, we couldn't stop them from um, winning the league on our home ground, but. Um, it was it was something special to be involved in and see a team get the title and obviously celebrate and it gives you that little bit more of a hunger and a desire to want to be involved in days like that again. In terms of Dundee United, you um, played another season there. It was a bit frustrating for you in terms of lack of opportunities in the first team at times. Um, I'm interested to know before we move on to further on in your career, who were the best players you played with at Dundee United and just how good were they? Well, we had, we had a great little, we had a great team amongst us. We had some great young players, um, and obviously that went on and had some great careers. Obviously, the likes of um, Craig Conway, uh, Willow Flood, uh, Noel Hunt, uh, players like that were were real talents. John Daly, who was scoring goals for us. Um, but again, I, th- I think obviously when you look at the players coming through, we had the likes of David Goodwillie coming through, um, Johnny Russell breaking through. There were some real good players coming through at Paradise at the time, and. I think obviously when you look back at um, the team and the squad we had, we probably should have done a little bit better than what we did. But again, uh, the likes of Craig Conway, for me as a full-back to play along in front, uh, behind him, for him just to sort of give you the ball at times and the way he can do things was was great to play with. And again, the likes of Willow and Magano Gomez, Prince Bourbon, we, we had some great players. And again, I wouldn't say there was anybody that stood out, but we were just a good team um, to do well together. As I say, your last season at Dundee United was slightly frustrating in the, the sense that you didn't get as many starts as you wanted, especially in the league. And at the end of that season, St Johnston and, and Derek McInnes came calling. Um, when Derek McInnes was interested, um, were you really desperate to talk to him and see what he had to say? Yeah, I think obviously when you've had a frustrating season and you think that your opportunities are probably going to be few and far between again, it hadn't quite worked out for me and things like that. It was... It was maybe time for a change, and I think obviously um, Derek McInnes and Tony Docherty had been obviously I spoke to them, and as soon as I spoke to them, I, I loved the way they were talking about obviously their first season back in the SPL and things like that. So again, I was, I was desperate to move down there and, and work alongside Del and uh, Tony because the two of them again are a great team. They work so well together as a pair, and um, the training and everything about the uh, club in the next two years was amazing. Having worked with Derek McInnes at St Johnston, which was quite early on in his managerial career, could you tell that him and Tony Doherty were going to form 
such a good partnership that would see them being regarded as top level coaches for so long? You could, yeah. I often say that Derek McInnes is, is probably up in my top two of managers that I've worked with. He, he was really good. His man management skills were good. Um, his, his sessions were good. His detail was enough. Um, without overthinking things, and again, I thought he got the best out of um, some some players at uh, St Johnson, and I think obviously some of the results we had and some of the how far we went in cup competition shows how good of a manager he was. And again, like I said, there him and Doc were a, were a fantastic team, and they still are now. They work together really well, and I'm no surprise that they're at a club like Aberdeen doing so well. As you see, you mentioned obviously the two seasons you were at St Johnston, um, a few seasons, sorry. Um, predominantly 8th place finishes in the league but reached the semi-final of the Scottish Cup and the semi-final of the League Cup in terms of cup competitions is that something that Derek McInnes really prioritised and got you as a dressing room believing that you could challenge for these trophies? I think obviously when you go to Scotland you know that Celtic and Rangers or Celtic or Rangers are going to win the league and I think obviously should you try and go out there to to beat them, you know that their facilities, their uh, everything about them, their resources are far superior than anybody's around. So you kind of know that you your best opportunity for some silverware is a cup competition. And I think obviously when you if you can get a couple of good runs and all of a sudden you start believing in yourselves and your team and you keep avoiding Celtic and Rangers, you never know what can happen. And I think obviously uh, we were quite lucky. We avoided Rangers till the semi-finals and unfortunately we fell short with them. But again. On other nights, we could have quite easily won the um, League Cup semi-final and, and got ourselves to a cup final, and then it's just who turns up on the day, really. I'm interested to ask you about one player um, really in particular from your time at St Johnston, and that player is um, Jody Morris, who obviously is now coaching as the assistant manager at Chelsea. He came in as quite an experienced player, and St Johnston at that time signed quite a few, Michael Dubry and, and others around that time. What was um, Jody Morris like to work with as a player, and could you tell that he's another one that was destined for coaching? Jody was very demanding. I think obviously he, he would get frustrated in, in training sessions sometimes. Obviously the level that he played at and the players that he worked with, um, and obviously um, playing at St Johnson obviously wasn't the same at, at times. And he and he did get frustrated, but he was he was a winner, Jody, and um, he was someone that um, again he was good with his as a captain. He would speak to you when he needed to speak to you and again he'd give you a bit of a, a bollocking when you needed a bollocking so again it, it was something that when you looked at Jordy you knew that he would sort of want to go into coaching probably and again he's done so well for himself to, to get the career obviously with um, where he's at now but he was someone that was just so demanding in every day in training that he wanted everyone to obviously push themselves as much as possible One game I'm interested to really touch on is a game for yourself which not just for St Johnson but for yourself was a great game um, when you played Rangers in March 2010, the club won 4-1, which is an incredible result in itself, but you provided um, plenty of assists in that game. Just how proud were you with your performance in that game and beating Rangers, a team like Rangers, so convincingly, does that just give the dressing room just sheer unbelievable confidence and belief that you can achieve more, um, be- bigger and better things? Yeah, I think that game stands out for me in my time at St Johnson, and I think obviously when you look at them types of games, um, stand out in your career as well so um, yeah I mean my job was always to obviously keep as many clean sheets as I could but obviously I like getting forward and trying to provide some assists with set pieces or crosses and I think obviously that day 
we we were we done well. We played really well that day, and we caught Rangers on an off day probably, but we fully deserved our result. And like you say, when you go back into the dressing room and you start talking amongst yourselves, you realise, yeah, we we can go on and and achieve something. Whether that's a top six finish, whether it's a top three finish, whether it's a cup run, whether it's a cup um, picking up silverware, whatever it is, it does give you belief when you go and beat a team like Rangers so comfortably. As you've said, you enjoyed your spell at St Johnston. It was um, successful in the league in the sense that you were very consistent. Eighth place finish a um, couple of times. Obviously, the budget at St Johnston's not not the biggest, so that's probably where you'd expect them to finish. But with, obviously, the good run in the Cups, overall, your time there was successful. From there, um, towards the end of the season, um, you informed Derek McInnes, obviously, that you wouldn't want to renew your contract there and Subsequently, in the summer, you joined Hearts uh, on a pre-contract and you signed a two-year deal. Um, when did you hear about Hearts' interest and was that a game-changer for you? Because I know you were interested in maybe moving back down south at that time. Yeah, I think obviously there was, there was a lot of interest in myself and there was interest in Derek McInnes as well. And I think that was a, a thing for me that I was worried about. That uh, Derek McInnes, I loved working with Derek and, and Tony and really enjoyed my time there. And I loved St. Johnson as a club. I loved boys in the facilities, everything that we had was, was really good and I really did enjoy my time there but my worry was that Derek McInnes was going to move on and and obviously sub- subsequently did um, and it was something that I was I was keen to come home again I, I, my um, little boy was um, was due uh, my wife was pregnant so it was something that I was keen to come home but then obviously I was in talks with Carlisle at the time and then all of a sudden Hearts came out of nowhere and Jim Jeffries formed my agent and told them that they were interested. So, a club like Hearts comes knocking, you can't say no. Um, they're an amazing club and they're a club that you form a bond with and, and you never lose it. And uh, once they came knocking and put the contact offer on the table, there was nowhere else I was going to go. Obviously, you mentioned Jim Jeffries there and he brought you to the club. Um, he left the club not um, too long after you had signed and was replaced by Paolo Sergio. Were you guys really disappointed that Jim Jeffries had left, considering they'd brought the likes of yourself, John Sutton, Jamie Hamill to the club that summer? Yeah, really disappointed. Obviously, it's unfortunately part and part of football, but we didn't feel like it was probably the right time for a change. And uh, the owner obviously made his decision and, and brought Paolo in. And again, you, you, whatever you do, you always give the, the next manager the, the respect he deserves. And um, I think obviously Paolo's a Paolo's a close friend of mine now. I still speak to him often and ask him for advice and, and still speak to him. So he's someone I think a lot of as well. But um, yeah, I did feel that Jim Jeffries probably given um, left the club probably sooner than what he probably deserved. But um, again, that, that's football. You move on with these things. Jim's someone, again, I've got a close relationship with and I, and I still speak to now um, as well as obviously lots of other managers asking for advice myself. In terms of your um, initial few games at Hearts, you had quite an incredible start. Your debut, one each um, draw with Rangers. The club had a very good Europa League run and you ended up playing Tottenham in the playoff round of the Europa League, which for Hearts at the moment, the position they're in the league, would be quite incredible to get to that stage again. What was the build-up to that playoff game against Tottenham like? And did you think you had any chance, considering obviously Tottenham have got a budget well in excess of Hearts? Yeah, Lord, they're, they're the games you want to be involved in as a kid is... Uh the European night and the, the special cup competitions and things like that. And you go into any cup competition and you, you know that the shocks can happen. Did we expect or um, did we expect to beat Tottenham? 
Probably not. Did we hope and expect that we could maybe cause an upset at some point if they had an off night and we had a good night? Then of course you do. It's that's part and parcel of it. It's it's things that you've got to do when you're uh, in a cup competition against higher opposition. You've got to believe that you can get something out of the game, and we and we genuinely did. And I think the worst thing that happened for us that year was I think it was the uh, London riots, and Tottenham never got to play their first game of the season, and they brought up a full strength um, first team. And obviously, absolutely destroyed us that night. And it was an incredible game to to be involved with, just to see the the level of the likes of Jermaine Defoe, Van der Vaart, Modric, Bale, people like that. It was, it was, yeah, it was it was something special to be involved with. When you played against those players, you mentioned them: Van der Vaart, Defoe, Bale, even the likes of Aaron Lennon. Um, see, when you play against them, obviously, as fans, I appreciate how good they are from watching them on TV and maybe at a live game. But see, when you play against them, does that? Um, make your opinion of them grow even higher? Yeah, it does, because you see what level they're at. And obviously, as a professional footballer, you think you're at a good level, and then you see these guys are, are just at a level above everyone, and uh, they really are a talent. And people like Jermaine Defoe, Jermaine Defoe's movement was absolutely incredible. Um, and again, I think he got two that night, and um, he, he was absolutely phenomenal. And again, players like that, you do realise how good they actually are. In terms of your first season at Hearts, it's obviously one of the most historic seasons and we're going to come to, to the reason why with the Scottish Cup. In the league, the club finished um, fifth in the league. A solid season for Hearts, top six finish. Obviously got to the playoff of the Europa League, which which was good in itself. But obviously as Hearts fans listening to this, I want me to ask you, that run to the Scottish Cup final, um, obviously it all started. You beat Auchinleck Talbot. Then you managed to get past St Johnston after extra time beat St Mirren in the quarter-finals again after a replay, which got you to the semi-finals against Celtic. Going into that semi-final against um, the Celtic team at that time, um, was Paolo Sergio confident and did he have a game plan that said, we can have a right good go at this Celtic team and potentially beat them? Yeah, I think he did. I think he, had, he gave them the respect they deserve. You've got to give teams like Celtic respect, otherwise if you go in there and try and fight battle with battle, sometimes you can come out red-faced and... Paulo gave them the, the respect they deserve, uh, but he did have a plan in place and his plan worked. Um, I think obviously he wanted to soak up the pressure in the first half. And I think when you go back to the game, Celtic absolutely battered us in the first half without really creating many opportunities. And I think they sacrificed one of the fullbacks at half time or just after half time, and, and then that's when we sort of sprung forward. And uh, Paulo was very clever in what he'd done. And um, again, I think it was a game that all hinged on a decision now that obviously looks back in history and and it could have gone either way but um, obviously for people like Beast to step up and smash the ball into the back of the net was unbelievable You mentioned obviously the game there it was 1-0 to yourselves Rudy Scatchel scored the goal Gary Hooper equalises late on and you think oh we're heading for extra time here could be tough then 92 minutes in penalty Craig Beatty formerly of Celtic won league titles at Celtic steps up to take it when you get that penalty, are you tempted to take it? Because you're quite a set-piece specialist, or were you happy for, for Craig to take it on? No, it was, just, it was the same as the one in the final. Uh, Paolo obviously named his penalty taker prior to the game, and uh, right the way through the, the cup competition, Jamie Hamill's always been our penalty taker, and unfortunately Jamie had an ACL injury and, and couldn't play in the game. So um, I think obviously Paolo had named Beats as a penalty taker when he came on. And again... Someone like Beats, he's confident in everything he does. And I was uh, I was delighted to see him step up and take it because as soon as it, I knew that he had hold of the ball, I knew it would be a goal. Obviously, after that semi-final win, 
fans are delighted, yourselves are delighted, and then obviously you know that it's Hibs of all teams you're going to play in the final. Um, obviously delighted to win the semi-final, but are there nerves or is there is there chat of God? It's Hibs. We really need to make sure we win this. It was funny because um, I, I think if I remember rightly, Hibs played Aberdeen in the other semi-final on the Saturday, um, and uh, other and they actually beat them, and so we knew it would be Hibs if we got through. So yep. it was kind of strange when we got back in the dressing room. The likes of beat uh, Blackie and Lockie, people like that that were associated, really associated with Hearts and the people of Hearts that kind of said, "Oh wow, this is this is massive." and People like myself and Ryan McGowan probably didn't realise how much of a uh, an impact this could have on the future of obviously both clubs. So again, it was it was it was just a case of we've got to a final, we see Hibs, we're above them in the league, we felt like we were better than them, and again, it was something that you were confident going into. Before we go on to the final and the build up to that itself, I'm interested to talk about a few individuals around that time. Um, first of all, Rudy Scatchel. Um, obviously, there's a few spells with Hearts. As a fan um, of Scottish football, one of the best players I've seen in Scottish football throughout my time watching it. Just how good was he to play alongside, train with, and just how good a player all round was Rudy? He was incredible. He really was. He was. He would walk into a dressing room and it would just be silent. And he was such a. He was a nice guy off the pitch, but knew he had standard. Knew he had standards. He was just a. He was a fantastic talent. And um, again, he was someone that. Um, could turn a game and you knew if you gave him the ball you had a chance of getting a goal no matter where he was on the pitch you knew he could score from anywhere and I think I remember one of his hat-tricks against St Mirren and it was a smash three in from outside the box and that's what Rudy was like he could literally turn a game on its head um, with one shot and he, and he was a fantastic talent and again he was a great person to have have around when things sometimes weren't going as well as what you'd hope What was the dressing room like that season? Um, you had quite some big personalities in there. You had Andy Webster, yourself, Ian Black, Kevin Kyle, Stephen Elliott. Um, what were those guys like to have in the dressing room? And was it a dressing room with lots of big characters or was there a lot of togetherness in there and just banter flying around from everyone? I think it was a, it was a very close-knit dressing room. We are obviously going through the um, financial restraints. Obviously, we weren't getting paid on time and things like that. And we were sticking together that side of it and trying to get our money through, um, obviously speaking to the to the owner and, and his businesses and stuff like that. So it was a group that was very, very close. There wasn't any egos in there as much as there was big players, big characters. There was never any egos and we all pulled in the same direction and that was what made us successful. I'm interested to ask about, obviously in terms of the coaching, we talked about Paulo earlier, um, successful coach, someone who's achieved a lot in the game. Um, Gary Locke is who I want to come to next. Hearts through and through, hearts die hard. Um, what was he like to work with and obviously with his passion and, and support of Hearts was he just a joy to work with in the sense that you could tell he bled Hearts and wanted the very best for you and everyone at the club yeah that's, that, that was lucky he just wanted the best for everybody at the club associated with the club he wanted the best for the players he would do anything he could to help the players um, and that was the most important thing and he connected with Lockie he was just sort of not long out the game obviously with um, with himself and but again he was he was someone that you could really connect to you could go and speak to and he was someone that was vitally important to us being successful that season and I think obviously leading up to the final he was someone that made us realise just how important that final was going to be 
obviously with the Ed you've just mentioned that the lead up to the final um, being an Edinburgh derby and obviously Hibs as a club hadn't won the, the Scottish Cup at that time before they played you for almost a hundred years so for them it was a it was a must they had to they had to really win that cup for their fans and going into that game you could argue they arguably a wee bit more pressure but Edinburgh derby brings pressure as it is anyway and what was the preparation like in the week or the week or weeks leading up to the final was it quite relaxed did Paolo try and keep everyone chilled or with the likes of Lockett the club was it really intense going into that final Paolo never changed a thing. He kept everything as if it were preparing for a, a league game um, against whoever, whether it was uh, Inverness, St Mirren, St Johnson, Dundee United. It was just exactly the same as that. He never changed one bit about it. Um, his preparation was exactly the same. We'd done everything we normally do and he just kept it as normal as possible. And obviously we we sort of drip-fed information into us through the week leading up to it. And obviously had the likes of Webby's and Craig Beatty, people like that that were obviously trying to make sure that the younger lads and the lads that had not been involved in stuff like this before that were that were keeping calm and nice and relaxed about it. I'm interested to know, ask every kind of player interview at the moment in terms of cup finals. Did you sleep well the night before the cup final, or were you just so excited and buzzing that it was it was hard to sleep? It took me a while to. I can remember I room with Beats, and um, I can remember it took me a while to actually get to sleep, but. I, I wouldn't say it was uh, a sleepless night, but it was. Uh, it took me a while to get to sleep. I was looking forward to it. I'd been unfortunate that I'd missed, I think it was two or three cup finals, with one with Gretna, one with Dundee United, and one with... Um, two with Dundee United, sorry. So, again, I was I was looking forward to hopefully make, making, obviously, an impact in the game. On the day of the game itself, obviously, you, you travel with the squad, you've got your suits and things ready. Um, is the build-up, Again, does the build-up itself on the day add pressure in the sense that you've got your suits, the cameras are there, the exposure of media attention with any game, never mind an Edinburgh derby, or is it just business as usual leading into the actual day itself? Again, Paolo tried to keep it as as normal as possible and um, he made us obviously pre-match meal, everything was the same. And again, he was he was very relaxed in what he'd done. Um, there was no real um, constraints on everything that we had to do. It was just a nice, relaxed morning. And then, obviously, we were off to the game. I think the first time it really hit me was when we were pulled up at Hamden and we were just about to go underneath the uh, stadium and all the fans were above us. There were flares going off and the fans were waving. And I actually caught the eye of my family as I was going down. And that's when it sunk in how big this game was going to be. Um, and, and that's when I realised that yeah, this is a massive cup final for, for both clubs. Before we talk about the game itself, this is a question I'm interested to know. See, in terms of the team talk that day, with so much riding in the game for Hearts as a club, was it Paolo that really delivered the team talk, or did Gary Locke kind of step up to the plate with that? I'll be honest with you, I can't even remember. It was, <laughs> um, I think, Vladimir Romanov had come in um, prior to the game for the chat, and then... Um, after that, I, I, I've kind of gone blank until the game kicks off. I can't remember the warm-up or anything. It was just, like, I think I was just trying to take everything in and ended up taking nothing in. So, um, <laughs> it's obviously a special occasion. And um, when you look at the, obviously, the, what you're coming up into against and things like that, you just want to try and make sure that you, you know your roles and your responsibilities and that you do your job properly. I think, um, I'm sure that Paolo would have just kept us relaxed in, in what he'd done, his team talk. 
he wouldn't have tried to rile us up. And again, he, he was more a person that played the game and not the occasion. And I'm sure that's what it'll have been like um, in his pre-match talk. Obviously, going into the game, you go um, 2-0 up. Hibs pull it back to 2-1, get into half-time. Second half kicks off. Two minutes into the second half, there's a penalty. You said earlier on, obviously, in the semi-final, Craig Beattie was the was the penalty taker. You were the designated taker for the final. And obviously, if you score, you go 3-1 up. You're probably en route to really sealing the cup. How nervous were you stepping up to hit that penalty? I actually wasn't nervous at all. I'd spoke to my dad on the night before the match and he'd sort of said to me, look, um, if it goes to a penalty shootout, where are you going to go? Because um, I wasn't actually told until the morning of the match that I was a designated penalty taker. So it was only in the, um, the morning of that I found out. And my dad said to me, he said, where are you going to go? He said, tell me where you're going to take your penalty now and go there no matter what. He said, if the keeper saves it, you'll be able to live with yourself and you'll be fine. But he says, if you change your mind and the keeper saves it, you'll be eating up in yourself saying, I wish I'd have just stuck to my guns and gone that way. So I told my dad which way I was going and I was confident stepping up. And as soon as the whistle was blown for obviously to give the penalty, I knew where I was taking it. And uh, I was really confident in doing so. Obviously, you score the penalty. Hibs have a man sent off. From there, McGowan uh, makes it 4-1. And then Scatchel again, another great goal, makes it 5 and. Not just to win a Scottish Cup final, but to win it against the club's biggest rivals and to win it 5-1 must have been incredible. What was the atmosphere like at full time and just how incredible a feeling was it for you in the dressing room? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. The, the, all, the, all the hard work that we've put, been put through that season and everything like that, it was just, it was amazing. It really was. And it was a close-knit group, families and friends. We were all very close, and the wives, the girlfriends, everybody was close. So to spend the, the evening with all our uh, teammates, families, and things like that, it was it was amazing. And we were back at um, Castle and we were again we were partying until the early hours, and it was it it was something that you'll never forget. I'm interested as well as a fancy when you left the Scottish Cup. Is it is it heavy? Um. It's not as heavy as what I thought it was going to be, but it was, um, yeah, I think obviously we, I can remember walking up the steps and I remember just leaning back on Webby and saying, I can't believe we've done it. And then obviously uh, you're there on the pitch and you celebrate and you lift the Scottish Cup, you're with the fans. It's a bit of a surreal feeling and you, again, you're in a bit of a daze and you just can't believe that you've been able to get through everything that you've done in the, in the full season and you come out with it with a Scottish Cup winner's medal. As you say, a proud moment for yourself, a proud moment for your family, of course, as well. Did, did you get your um, shirt framed after the final that day and is your medal framed as well? Yeah, I've had, I actually had two shirts that day. Um, well, I had three, but um, I, I gave one to my dad. I framed, I framed my match shirt, uh, my two match shirts, um, into big frames, one with my medal and a Scottish Cup winner's um, scarf above it. That's him uh, of my own, and then I gave my dad and my mum one uh, for all the support they've given me since I was uh, since I was a kid. That's a lovely story, and as you say, all the support your family gave you when you were younger, and the Scottish Cup for win for anyone's the pinnacle of their career, you know. So, how just how proud a moment was that for you and your whole family, and did the whole family just absolutely buzz in the celebrations afterwards? Yeah, I think I just had my, my little son had just been born in the, um, in September, 
he was on the pitch with me. My wife was uh, in the stands with my, all my family, all my friends had travelled up from um, Penrith to, to watch the final. And again, it was it, it, it's incredible. It really is. And obviously, it's, it's an emotional moment when you you lift the cup and you finally see your family after the game and they're sat there in the players' lounge waiting for you while we're partying in the dressing room. It's no, it's something like I say you you work so hard as a, as a footballer to get to somewhere. And to have an opportunity like that, it's it's truly amazing. Um, from there, obviously, you stayed at Hearts the next season and you suffered um, an injury again and you required further groin surgery and you were out for a few months. Just how hard is it when you're out for a few months as a footballer, both mentally and physically? Yeah, I think, obviously, my, I had my groin operation straight after the final. Um, I'd been... Um, Sort of taking painkiller injections for the last four weeks leading up to the to the final to get me through the games, um, knowing that obviously I would get my operation straight after the season so that I could be fit for the start of the next season. And then um, obviously when you get fit, you're ready for pre-season. And it was a summer that I had to spend all the time in the in the training ground with the medical team. And then obviously to come back, have a good start to the season, playing well. And then all of a sudden, obviously you go for a head of land awkwardly and. You get told your season's over. It's just something that you you never want to hear as a footballer. In terms of the recovery process and the rehab, how tough is that to, to go through? And is there times where, obviously, you, you, not that you necessarily think, oh, you just want to leave it and give up, but is it just really tough challenging when all the boys are out training and you're in the gym doing the rehab to just have that motivation to keep going? Yeah, it, it, it's the hardest time of any footballer's career, no matter whether you're out for a week, two weeks, two months or six months or a year. It's, it's the hardest part. All the boys go out onto the training pitch and you're sat in the gym looking at the four walls, doing your rehab. It's Yeah, it's the part of football that you don't want to be involved in. And yeah, there is times when you look at it and you think, is it, is it ever going to get any better, especially in your long-term injuries? You, you feel like you're always sort of never getting any further down the line. So again, it's, it's something that as a footballer, they're the days you absolutely dread and uh, they're the days that you find the toughest. Obviously, from there, your your season was over after the injury. Hearts were in a really challenging position financially. So, towards the end of the season, um, the club basically obviously couldn't afford to offer you a new contract and many other players because of the situation. How disappointing was it to have to leave Hearts in that fashion after the season you had previously winning the Scottish Cup against Hibs? Yeah, it was it was so hard. I mean, obviously, Lockie tried to fight to keep me, but obviously because of the uh, constraints of the financial side of it, he couldn't do it. And I completely understand that from the the point of view of that. Obviously, I wasn't um, going to be available, so it was a case of letting me go. And uh, yeah, I was I was devastated to leave Hearts. My family was settled. We were settled at where we were going. We loved playing for the club, and we loved being involved with it. Um, so to be to be sort of told and shipped out the door, it was. It was really disappointing and really hard to take, and especially after 12 months prior, you're obviously having the best day of your football career to then having obviously one of the worst. From there, um, you're approached by um, St Mirren. Were there any other clubs in for you at that time as well? Yeah, I'd actually been down at Blackpool, training with Blackpool and Carlisle at the time, but neither of them had um, sort of worked out, and it wasn't quite right for me at that time or for the club. And I spoke to Danny Lennon, and obviously I played with Danny Lennon at Gretna, and Again, he was um, he, he was good. He offered me an opportunity to go in there and and play there. So um, I took the chance. And, and again, it was a club that I felt that was a great club. It was 
behind the scenes was run very well. It had a great facilities with a training pitch and the, the stadium itself and the indoor dome and things like that. It was it really is a, a fantastic club. In terms of St Mirren, as you say, you enjoyed your, t- your time there. Um, in the season that you were with St Mirren, the club finished eighth in the in the, in the SPL, which again is is very good for a club like St Mirren in terms of the budget they've got. Um, what was Danny Lennon like to work with as a manager? Yeah, no, I, I got well Danny as well with Danny as a player um, when we played at Gretna together. Um, and obviously, something sometimes it just doesn't work out with clubs. And for me, I just didn't, I, I just couldn't get going at St Mirren. And whether that was because of my previous injury, and that's why I only lasted sort of four or five months at the club. And um, again, um, I, uh, the club itself was fantastic, and I really enjoyed um, St Mirren as a football club. But just on the pitch and. Um, the training camp and that, it just didn't work for me or Danny and we had to cut our losses and, and leave that uh, in the January transfer window As you've said in January you, you left St Mirren and, and you, you joined Dunfermline what attracted you to Dunfermline and when did you hear of their interest? It was actually funny I was um, I was getting to the point where I was ready for coming home back down to England and uh, setting up roots for my family and and there wasn't much interest for me around where we were and we were talking about whether we should just carry on or whether we should just cut our losses, go home and, and just get back to sort of doing something down uh, near a home. And it was actually a conversation with uh, Jim Jeffries and Jim just said, that's not going to happen. You're going to come and play for me and enjoy your football again. And I can honestly say if I didn't go to Dunfermline, I would probably have retired four or five years earlier and wouldn't even be interested in coaching or managing because I'd totally fallen out of love with football. And I was, wasn't interested at all in going anywhere. Um, but as soon as Jim phoned me and I spoke to Jim, we were sort of... Um, uh, Jim Jeffries is someone who I can't thank enough for what he's done for me in my football career. And again, he's someone that I, I speak highly of and I've got a lot of respect for because of how good of a person he is as well as a manager. A tough six months for the club. Um, obviously trying to get promoted again and, and sadly just missing out in the end. How disappointing was that for the club and yourself? Yeah, d- d- devastating because um, obviously you want to give back to the fans because the fans have been so loyal, gone through obviously all the um, thing of getting relegated and stuff like that and they've stuck by the club and the fans were amazing at Dunfermline and they really got behind the club and the team and you wanted to repay that faith with getting them promoted back to where they deserve to be and um, to fall just short um, and obviously in a, in a derby was really disappointing and it was, it was upsetting, obviously one of the hardest games probably to be involved in as well. As you say, obviously the club didn't get promoted back to the championship. Very tough for the club and yourself. And the club, obviously, I think, did want to keep you, but you get the opportunity to return home, which, as you've said a few times on the podcast, um, is something you always wanted to do. And Carlisle um, came in for you, and, and you described that as a, as a dream come true because you'd supported them as a kid. Just how pleased were you when you got the move to Carlisle, considering, one, the location, and two, your passion for the club? Yeah, I think obviously any kid's dream when you stand on a terrace watching a club is to sort of play for them. And obviously I had the opportunity when I was younger to play in the academy and it didn't quite work out for me. And it took a long time to come round. But it, at the time when I spoke to Davy Irons and Graham Cavanagh about coming back, everything just felt right. And I thought it was the right time to come home and set up roots. My young lad was coming into school age and my, my daughter was um, expected in the next few months. And things like that so I just thought it was the right time to come home and again Lockie had just got the um, Kilmarnock job and he'd offered me a contract there and 
if it had been anybody, um, anybody but Lockie, I probably wouldn't have even considered it. But it took a bit of um, thinking about, obviously, to uh, come to Carlisle because obviously that was the time that um, it, it just felt right for me. And I always said that I'm, I'm a big believer in you're there in the right time, um, right space, right time, sort of thing. And that that just felt like it was the right time for me to come home and. Again, to be able to come home and, and play for your hometown team and the team that you support was literally a dream come true and I couldn't have imagined it going much better than what it did. As we've said, you signed a one-year contract to, to go back home to Carlisle, your boyhood club, and you stayed there for, for, for four or five years, many seasons, which which was good. There was obviously ups and downs during that period and you played under various managers. Um, what would, How would you describe your time at Carlisle um, retrospectively, having obviously just left the club in the summer? Amazing, that could like disappointing, amazing, turbulent, up and down. There's many ways I can describe it, and it's a club that I still feel fondly for now, and um, I want them to be as successful as possible. But um, again, we missed out on the playoff final. Um, we're getting beat with the last kick of the game. We've had great days. We went to Liverpool, took them all the way to penalties in the cup. So again, I, I, there's many games I can go back through, and there's many games that you can look at and say well, that that was an amazing game those games that were absolutely terrible and you hated and those times where we just couldn't get going so no I again I I couldn't have um, had much of a, a better time at Carlisle for, for me personally I absolutely loved it and it gave me an opportunity to play for the team that I've supported since I was a kid I'm interested to know obviously you you've played the majority of your career in Scotland you've played in obviously basically you played in every division in Scotland so you're probably the best que- the best person I can ask this qu- next question to. How would you compare the standard of Scottish football and the levels you played in with League Two, um, where you played with Carlisle? I think it's a it's a very very difficult question to ask. I think when you look at the some of the teams you know in Carlisle's league or some of the teams in the SPL or the or this Championship, you look at the Championship now. The Championship I don't think I've ever seen as competitive what it has been in the last few years. Uh, obviously you're looking at it now you've got your two Dundee Dunfermlings clubs like that fighting to try and get back into the SPL and it's huge and I do think that the Scottish game is, is underrated I don't think it gets enough uh, credit for what it is and I think obviously the the two big teams obviously Celtic and, and Rangers are massive and they're showing that in, in Europe this year and they can go far and things like that but inside the comparing it from, from league to league it's very hard to do so. I think there's there's very good players and very good teams in in both um, in League Two in England and obviously in your probably your top end of your Championship and down into your uh, SPL now. So it's very hard to compare them and say I, I would probably say that's where Carlisle are or that's where League Two is. So it's hard to answer that question to sort of give you that idea. Fair enough. Then um, I'm interested, obviously, then. The comparison of um, standard maybe is is a hard question, but comparing the top flight in Scotland, the Premiership, the Premier League to to League Two, is the style of football different? And the is there a case of is League Two more direct and physical than the SPL, or is it vice versa? I think it's very different. I think because you only play teams twice in England. You don't. You, you get. You can get a bit of a shock factor sometimes when you're playing teams. Um, I think obviously when you're up in Scotland, you can play against teams sort of quite frequently, whether that's cup competitions as well as league, and you can sometimes end up playing teams six times in one season. 
Um, when I first came down to England, I would definitely say it was a lot more physical. There was um, a lot more physical players. I think it was probably slightly a quicker tempo to a game and, and things like that. But I think in the last couple of seasons that, that I was there, Carl, Carlisle, there was, there was definitely a lot more football played in the league. And I think, obviously, when you look at it now, it's, uh, it, it goes right the way through from any division now, right the way through. Um, now it's not a case of just smashing the ball forward and hoping that you can get second balls or pick up free kicks and stuff like that anyway. To, at the end of um, the 18-19 season, you announced uh, um, your retirement, and obviously we'll come to what you're doing now. Don't worry. But um, were you did, did, had you made your mind up? Was there was there definitely at that time when you initially let, uh, decided to retire after Carlisle? At that moment, did you think that's me done with football in terms of playing? Yeah, it was. I uh, again. I was offered. I was offered a contract to another League Two team, and. I wasn't interested. I, I didn't want to move away from home. I didn't want to do loads of travelling. I always said I wanted to finish my playing career at Carlisle, and, and I did so. And again, I think I was just getting to that point where I just felt like it was the right time to step away from it. And again, it was something that me and my family spoke long and hard about, and it was a very, very tough decision. And again, it was one that I didn't make um, easily or quickly. It was one that I had to make, make real, really think about it and obviously get it right. Obviously, you retired. Obviously, retirement for any footballer is, is a challenge. It's a tough time. But let's be honest, your retirement hasn't lasted too long. You're back now. You're the player manager of Workington. Um, how did that come about? And were you just desperate to get involved in coaching? And when the, the nugget of being able to still play um, was put to you, was, was that just the best of both worlds? I think, obviously, I, it was something that um, when I retired, I thought that I'd have a little bit of time away from football. I was desperate to get into coaching. I, I love coaching and managing um, teams, so it was something I was keen to get involved with straight away. But um, I just felt like that working was a great opportunity for me to go to. And um, uh, the player manager side of it, I wasn't really that interested in doing the playing side of it, but the club would like me to do that. And I, I said I will always do it if I'm if we're short, I'll play. But I've only played three times this season, so. Again, it's not something that I'm desperately wanting to do every week, but I think it was just the right time again for me to step into that that role and and hopefully get a bit of experience and see where it can take me. In terms of Workington as a club, um, obviously from the heights of Hearts and, and and Dundee United in your career, um, I can imagine it's it's a completely different level. But what what are your aims going forward for yourself with Workington for the next season, next couple of seasons? Um, are you interested in always being a manager or would you consider a coaching role or an assistant manager's role um, a club maybe higher up the divisions? It's, it's, it's hard to say um, whether you would take a coach's job or an assistant manager's job without knowing what the um, what the role was. You can yeah. never say never. And I, I do want to be a manager and I like being in charge and doing things, having things done the way I want things done. And, um, again, my my personal ambitions for working is to get promoted this season and then push on next season and try and push on to the right end of the division. There's no reason why working can't be in at least one division, if not two divisions, higher than what we are now. That sounds like a good aim, and I wish you all the best with that. Of course, I do. Um, seeing ex players like yourself get into management and coaching for me is what it's all about because obviously you get lots of ex players that go into punditry, and we all love watching them on TV, and it's great, but. I think it is important that guys like yourself who've got a real football and pedigree, you've won the Scottish Cup, you've played for some big clubs. It's it's great personally as a fan to see you giving something back to the game. And in terms of the coaching, as I say, I wish you all the best. 
And I'm interested to know about your long-term ambition. Is it a long-term dream of yours to one day manage Carlisle? I, I've always said my, I started my career at Gretna as a footballer and I always said I wanted to play at the highest level I possibly can. Um, and that doesn't change now. I'm, I've got my foot on the, on the ladder in the managerial side and I want to coach as high as I can. Uh, do I want to jump off the ship that I'm on now? Yeah, the first opportunity? No, I don't. I want to, I want to move forward and keep progressing and learning from my mistakes that I make. Um, I'm a young manager and I wanted to be a young manager because I want to learn my mistakes and and hopefully keep progressing in the right direction. Um, again, I said once before that I had a dream to play um, for my for my hometown team and I was able to live that dream. I've also been able to live a dream of lifting the Scottish Cup. So I've got plenty of things that I can think about moving forward as a manager. But just at the moment, I want to keep learning and making sure that I keep learning from my mistakes. And as I said, all the best for the future, as to say, I think. Getting guys like yourself into coaching is really important and I'd like to finish the interview with a few quick-fire questions with you, if that's all right. Yeah, no problem. Um, who would you say are the best players you've played with in your career? Best players I've played with, um, I would probably say Rudy Scatchell, Andy Webster and probably Craig Conway. Obviously, those are your best and as you've said, they've all had really good careers, just like yourself, um, I'm interested to know who would you say is the most underrated player you played with? Um, most underrated player that I played with um, was probably uh, Sean Dillon and John Daly uh, at Dundee United. The two of them were fantastic, and I don't think they got enough credit for for how good they actually were. Um, I, I them two there probably stick out for me because the two of them were very good uh, and they were very influential on and off the pitch. You've been very lucky to work under um, great managers in your career, Craig Levine, Derek McInnes, Jim Jeffries. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm imagining those three have all had a really big impact in your career. Is, but is there one manager in particular that, for yourself, personally, you feel that has had the biggest impact in your career? And if so, why would you choose them? I think they've all had a, an impact on me as a as a player and as a um, as a person. But for me, the biggest influence on my career from a manager's side of it was Jim Jeffries because he gave me the opportunity to play for a club like Hearts, but he also gave me an opportunity to, to keep my career going because I, I would have genuinely retired after my time at St Mirren. But he he didn't let me and he fought for me, which I thought was something that he didn't have to do. Um, and again, he's someone that I still speak to now. So. Um, as much as all the managers have had an influence on my career and even now I take a little bit from every single one of them Jim Jeffries is someone that I can't speak high enough of For Workington now if you could sign one of your ex-teammates at their peak for the club who would it be and why? Rudy Scatchell because I'd probably get about 45 goals off him so <laughs> I'd take Rudy any day of the week Sounds good and last question for you um, obviously the modern game's dominated with so many elite coaches, Guardiola, Klopp, Ancelotti, etc. If you could play for any manager in the world at the moment, who would it be and why? Oh, play for, it's, a hard, it's a hard one that for me because I, I love watching um, Pep Guardiola's teams, but I think obviously the way that Jurgen Klopp can have his players motivated and things like that, he's, he's probably one of the best in the world at the moment. But yeah, I'd probably say Jurgen Klopp if I'm being honest. Sounds good, and as I say, with everything he's achieved in the game, it's a good answer, so thank you very much, and 
I'd just like to thank you, Danny, for appearing on the Football CFB podcast. To have a Scottish Cup winner like yourself on is is a privilege for me as a fan, and I'd just like to once again thank you for being on the podcast. Not a problem at all. Thanks very much for having me. I really enjoyed it.